Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you are listening to this, and welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Badham Denai, and I am your host. Today on the show, we have a guest I am thrilled to have. After reading his book, Wolves Can't Fly, I was blessed to be able to interview him at the beginning of this isolation period. I love Dan's story because he has an incredibly unique, fun job that he's going to tell you about, but he also is just someone who really walks the walk after he talks the talk and uses his platform for good. His accident, a bungee jump accident, was also very unique, but it is amazing to see how God has worked all things together for his good. So take a seat, take a walk, keep driving, whatever you're doing, but listen up. Here's the incredible testimony of Dan Mears. Today, I am so excited to have Dan Mears on the show, and Dan is a part of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl winning team, but in a very unique way. So welcome, Dan, and what uh, are do you do on the Kansas City team? Well, thank you. It's great to be a part of this uh, broadcast today, and uh, yeah, I do have kind of an unusual occupation. I'm not a player. I'm not a coach. I am the team mascot. I tell people I run around in a costume and act like a nut for a living, and they pay me to do it, and they have been for a long time, so. That's just so fun, and so I just finished reading Dan's book. I believe you have two out now, is that correct? I do. I uh, My second book just came out in December, and uh, if I knew we were going to win the Super Bowl this year, I might have waited and had it come out in March and added a chapter on the Super Bowl, but but uh, it, I, it came out in December, and so now I guess I'm going to have to write another book to include the Super Bowl. Oh, man. Well, we look forward to that one as well. I haven't read your newest one, but I read your first one, which is called Wolves Can't Fly. And you talk about just your whole career as a mascot, which is just from someone who has not experienced that. Um, just fascinating. But on top of that, you talk about a bungee jump accident. And so we'll get to that a little bit later. But just because you live such an interesting life, tell us a little bit about what being a mascot looks like and what are your favorite parts of the job? Yeah, well, it's not one of those things I, uh, back in elementary school, I thought, boy, I'd sure like to grow up and wear a costume for a living. You know, I'd, I had uh, never been a mascot in my life. Just like every other kid, I would dress up in costumes once a year at Halloween and go trick-or-treating, and that was always fun. But when I was in high school, I, I loved sports. I played baseball, basketball, and football in high school. And when I say played, I should say I... I participated in because I wasn't a great athlete. I actually sat on the bench in baseball, basketball, and football in high school. And that's kind of how I know God's got a sense of humor is that he took a, a guy who was a three-sport bench warmer in high school and then turned around and gave me a 30-year NFL career as a mascot. And so, but I uh, went to college at the University of Missouri in Columbia, and that's where I might my mascot career got started. One day I was sitting around reading the school newspaper and there was this article that said they were going to have tryouts to be Truman the Tiger, the school mascot. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting. And I, you know, I, I love sports and always wanted to, you know, be a part of it, but I wasn't good enough to play at that level. And so I thought, well, I'll go to this meeting. So I went to this meeting, this informational meeting and and then I tried out. Sure enough, I got the job. And for four years, I ran around in a tiger suit doing college football and basketball games and other sporting events and community events. And then when I graduated from college, actually kind of back up a little bit, when I was in college, they have these mascot competitions. And I competed in some of these and, and I did pretty well for three years in a row, I placed in the, the final four in the nation. And so when I graduated from college, I kind of had this mascot resume and a human resume and <laughs> went out and I got my first job running around in a uh, bird outfit for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. So I, my start was actually in professional baseball, did that for just a short time. And then the Kansas City Chiefs called me and 
asked if I wanted to, they were starting up this new program and the character was Casey Wolf. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of, kind of fun. So I went to Kansas City and I've been there now for 30 years, but I absolutely love my job. You know, God's wired me to be a mascot. I just, it's a job where I get to use all my energy and creativity. And, you know, it's kind of my platform to just go out and hopefully bring some smiles to people's faces and spread some joy in this world so yeah i know in your book you talked about getting to be a part of a wedding ceremony and so many proposals and just different things that you get to do so what are some aspects of your job that you do that outside of the football field that people might not realize well we do last year we did over 700 appearances just kind of give you an idea wow. so some people think well you actually make your living being a mascot yes i it's more than a full-time job as a matter of fact i did it by myself for about uh, probably 13 or 14 years. And then it got so busy and there were so many appearances that I hired a backup to help me go out and do appearances just because I couldn't cover all of them. And at this point, I'm, I'm currently now up to four backups. They've all got real jobs. Uh, one of my backups is an elementary school principal. One is a pastor one is a counselor, and then one is a fitness trainer. Wow. But they help me a lot on the weekends because uh, Saturdays are always a busy day because that's when everybody wants to do their kid's birthday party. Everybody does their wedding receptions and parades and picnics and all kinds of different events like that. So, yeah, I think most people would be surprised to know just how many appearances we do. Football is just a very small part of what I do on a yearly basis. You know, we have 10 football games a year. Well, unless you go to the playoffs this year, we had 13 football games and we like that. <laughs> so getting to go to the Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, out of the 700 appearances we did, 13 of those were football games. Uh, the other 680, what, a 687 of them this year were birthdays and wedding receptions and church visits and school visits and businesses and grand openings and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Yeah. So I, you were a pastor at one point as well, correct? I was. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and a lot of people don't know, but I'm also an ordained minister, but I worked as the men's pastor at my church. And so I was a full-time mascot, part-time men's pastor. And one thing I found out in a hurry is there's no such thing as part-time ministry. And so I was, uh, I spent two years working as the, the men's pastor at my church and absolutely loved doing that. But I was extremely busy and it reached a point where I knew God was telling me it was time to, to step aside. I had three young children at the time and, you know, my wife and my kids are my priority. And I was just so busy that I was, I wasn't as present as I should be in their lives. And that's when I had to, you know, make up my mind, you know, is I going to continue to be a mascot or be a pastor? And I actually get more opportunities through my secular job to go out and just share yeah. the love of Christ with others through this crazy platform as a mascot. And so that's why, you know, the more I prayed about it, the more I really just had a peace knowing that that's where the Lord wanted me is to continue to run around in a furry costume <laughs> and so that's what I that's what I do. It's a, it's a fun job and every day I get the opportunity to just meet so many just wonderful people and just an opportunity to hopefully make an impact in this world for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really encouraging to hear you can have callings other than something specifically in what we deem full-time ministry, right? Life no matter what you're doing is full-time ministry and you know, just over the past year, I've actually done this big delve into the world of Sabbath and resting, and it has been completely transformative for my life. And so do you practice Sabbath? How do you rest amidst all of this stuff going on in your life? Well, I do. And uh, unfortunately for me, my Sabbath is not on Sundays because, as most people know, NFL football games are played on Sundays. And so um, I usually take a day out of the week and use that as my Sabbath day. And I just put an X through my calendar. And on that day, I 
send uh, send my backups out to do the appearances and just kind of spend the day uh, taking a day of Sabbath, as you said. Yeah, which I can't imagine how hard it is. So I, I think that's a good example of if you can do it, the rest of us can do it as well. But has it been hard over the years to stay committed to that? Have you ever had an event come up where you're like, man, I really wish I could do that, but I'm going to just honor the Lord in this. Yeah. And, and there's some weeks I've got to be very creative with, you know, and my, my Sabbath day kind of tends to switch around depending on, you know, we've got sponsors that pay a huge amount of money to be a sponsor of the chiefs. And so when the, when they have an event come up, the chiefs really, really want us to be at these sponsor events. And so sometimes, you know, I might be planning on a Sabbath on a Tuesday and that gets switched to a Thursday, but I think God understands as long as I'm taking time just to to uh, rest and refresh and spend time with him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just so encouraging to know it doesn't have to be that set if you have a job, you know, similar to yours or that's, you know, kind of up in the air a lot of the time. And I just was listening to a podcast recently um, and the pastor said, Sabbath is so hard for us as Americans because it is an idol crusher and it crushes everything we value, right? Our time, doing things, success, the American dream, which is why I think it's so important to keep. And I almost wonder, I don't know, what do you think about, we're recording this in the middle of everything being shut down for coronavirus. I almost feel like it's just this perfect time to be like, hey, maybe we should rest or stop. <laughs> like, Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just finished one of the busiest seasons of my life during the Super Bowl run. And right after the Super Bowl, everybody is so excited in Kansas City. So everybody wants you at their event. And so there was just so much demand. And I'm just trying to keep up with everything. And, you know, my backups as well, they were just out doing all kinds of appearances. Just give you an idea, in the month of January, we did 98 appearances. Wow. And then then once we got to uh, March the 12th, I have not had another appearance since March 12th because of the coronavirus. And so it basically went from feast to famine. I was just just going crazy busy. And now it's just come to a halt. And honestly, it has been very refreshing. And uh, I think there's a balance there that we need to live our lives by. But yeah, it's it's definitely been different. I know that. Yeah, well, maybe it's an awesome way to be interviewed on remote podcasts like this and give some other people your awesome story. So yeah, <laughs> That's true. changing courses a little bit. I want to talk about just one thing I found fascinating in your book, which is the Missouri 340. Can you tell us what that is and tell us a little bit about that? So the Missouri River 340 is a canoe race and I've got two brothers, my youngest brother and I, we like to go out and try different things. <laughs> that challenge us and so we had we've done the bike across Kansas and we've biked across the state of Missouri well the Missouri River 340 is a canoe race that is 340 miles long and it's down the Missouri River and you put in in Kansas City and then you basically you, you paddle the river and we take out in St. Charles Missouri which is on the far eastern side of the state but it was a we did it in the summer it's, it's in july and we took us 72 hours and 30 minutes to complete and even though it's a race we weren't really trying to win the race we were just trying to survive this 340 mile canoe excursion that we were on and, and uh yeah it's a memory that we will always have together i guarantee we will never forget it and I also think I'm going to have a hard time convincing my brother to ever do it again. Because <laughs> and what, what did your wives call you? Hours. Well, we had to come up with a team name for, our, <laughs> uh, for this. Uh, and me and my brother are like, what are we going to call ourselves? And our wives are like, we got a good idea for you. Why don't you call yourself Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> so that's our, that was our team name. We called ourselves Dumb and Dumber. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. I finished with, 18 blisters on my hands that's uh, I don't know if that sounds like fun to anybody but uh, I did feel like we had accomplished something by the time we were done but like I said it was a it was long and it was painful but it was fun to be able to do with my brother yeah what an experience though I mean you'll remember that and talk about it forever and 
it's good to be able to laugh at yourself, right? That's right. So, <laughs> but something that it too reminds me of that I was just had never thought about before not being in the mascot world, but you actually have to do quite a bit to stay in shape as a mascot, right? You talked about biking and different things. So what does it look like to have to, you know, be able to let your body handle these extreme heats inside of a costume and different things? What does your training regimen look like? What I do a lot of is stationary biking. You know, everything I do is for endurance. I don't have to be like, unlike a football player, you know, that has to be strong and be able to push guys around, you know, if you're an offensive lineman, I don't have to be necessarily really strong. What I need is endurance. I need to be able to throw a 30 pound costume on my body, run around out in the hot sun for three, three and a half hours dancing and trying to entertain people. And so I will sit on, and I'll do this later this afternoon, I will sit on my stationary bike in my basement, and today I'll probably pedal about 20 miles, and, and so that's kind of my, my training regimen, do a, do a whole lot of stationary biking. And I just, you were prepared for this uh, isolation, at least with your exercise regimen, huh? Yes. Well, my stationary bike's in my basement. I've got access. I could work out up at Arrowhead Stadium. But years ago, I made a commitment. When I do my workouts, I want to do them in my basement because that way I'm at, I'm at at least I'm at home, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So if I'm going to spend, if I'm going to have to spend an hour, hour and a half on a stationary bike if I'm at home at least my kids feel like hey dad's at home if I'm constantly up at Arrowhead Stadium working out that's just another hour out of my you know well several hours out of my week that I'm going to be away from home and I wanted to kind of make a commitment to be around my house as much as possible yeah and how many kids do you have and how old are they now I've got three kids they are now we are now empty nesters as of last year my oldest daughter is now 24 she lives in St. Charles, Missouri. She had she graduated with her master's degree in social work. And so she works in St. Charles, Missouri, which is where I grew up. So she's about five minutes from my parents' house. Awesome. And for those who are listening, St. Charles is on the St. Louis side of the state. I live in Kansas City, which is on the um, western side of the state. So I live about three hours and 15 minutes away from my oldest daughter. My son is now 22. He, he goes to school in Pittsburgh, Kansas, which is about two hours away from here. And he is studying to be a doctor. So he's going to be in ah. school for a little while. And then my youngest daughter, she is 18 years old. And she is actually a volleyball player, and she plays volleyball at Louisiana Tech in Ruston, Louisiana. And so, but she is back home because of the coronavirus. They're doing all their classes are online currently. So she is currently back home again. Well, sounds like y'all must be pretty proud, pretty awesome family. Uh, I love them a lot. and They're good kids and they've made their mom and dad very proud. Okay. So while we're talking about family, another part, I just, I was like, man, I might have to steal this family tradition from you. Talk about the frozen, frozen bun run. Is that what it's called? (laughs) It's called the, yes, the frozen bun fun run. Uh, we started this about, it's kind of a strange tradition. We started this probably, I'd have to go back and look. It's been 12 to 15 years ago now. But every year for Christmas, my kids give me a pair of boxer shorts. And it's never a surprise that I'm going to get boxer shorts. The only surprise is what's going to be on the boxer shorts. So they may be Homer Simpson boxers. They may be SpongeBob SquarePants. It might be Superman or, you know, Elf. Or there's all kinds of crazy boxers. And my son also gets a new pair of boxers each year. So every year at Christmas time, we unwrap all our gifts, get the new boxers, we read the Christmas story, have breakfast together, and then we do the frozen bun fun run, which consists of me putting on my new pair of boxers, my son putting on his boxers, and then my daughters both put on their swimsuits, and that's it. So you, no shoes, no socks, no shirt. Just, and then we run out. Then we run around our house one time, and of course, in December, December twenty fifth in Kansas City, we typically have about you know several inches of snow on the ground, and it's very cold outside. 
but we started doing this frozen bun fun run and now it's turned into a family tradition. And so every year we know that uh, we've got Christmas pictures every year of us standing out on the deck, typically in snow, me in my boxer shorts with a Christmas hat on and we take our annual frozen bun fun run picture. So, <laughs> and we usually don't print too many of those on the book. I <laughs> include one in my first book I think but yeah those uh, <laughs> I, I think my kids have come to enjoy it and uh, so we've, we've had a lot of fun with that over the years yeah I was like well there's no way I mean that would be like nothing in Texas you know but man Mon Montana that could uh that that would be a frozen run if you run around the house and bare feet so yeah, I don't know if I could do that in Montana if I'm tough enough I think you get it a little colder up there than we get here in Kansas City but yeah one one time outside around the house and then it's right back in so 45 seconds of pain and then uh and we're back indoors except after your surgery right how long did that one take you well that one took me a little longer you know after i got hurt i had back surgery that that trip around the house took probably two minutes yeah but it was a miracle nonetheless right that's right so and my kids were kids were good to me that year they let me wear a pair of tennis shoes instead of going bare feet so probably for the better <laughs> Right. After I just had surgery, I think they were afraid I might get frostbite and have to lose my toes too. So. Yeah. Oh man. Well, so let's talk about your accident. Will you describe what happened that day at the stadium for us? Yeah. So I was, uh, we were going to do a skit or, or kind of a stunt where Casey Wolf was going to bungee jump and zip line into Arrowhead Stadium. And how that works is we hire a company that comes in and they set up a zip line. The zip line attaches to the lights at the top of our stadium and then stretches all the way across the football field to the lights on the other side of Arrowhead Stadium. And then they attach a bungee cord to that zip line. And what I do is I, I dress up in my costume, go up into the lights at the top of the stadium with this bungee cord attached to me. And then I jump out of the lights. And that day I was supposed to fall for about 20 feet. The bungee cord was supposed to catch me, bounce me right back up. And then I was going to zip line out over the field. Well, unfortunately, it didn't go the way we planned that day because when I jumped out of the lights, instead of falling 20 feet, because of the slack that they still had in the zip line, I fell approximately uh. 70 to 75 feet and I hit the seats in the upper level of our stadium. I hit the seats so hard that I knocked two of the seats out of the concrete that day. But not only did I do some damage to the seats, they, they did a pretty good job on me as well. I, a day I broke seven ribs, I collapsed my left lung, I shattered my tailbone, I cracked my sacrum, which is the bone your tailbone attaches to, got a big gash on the back of my left leg that required stitches and received several units of blood because I'd lost a lot of blood after I'd hit the seats. But then my worst injury, I, I broke the T12 vertebrae in my back. And the next day I had surgery and I now have these two titanium rods that stabilize that part of my spine. And ended up, I was in the hospital for nine days. And then I spent six months off work doing therapy and rehab just day after day after day. And that's kind of my stunt that didn't go nearly the way it was planned. Yeah. So take us to that moment. I mean, you didn't, according to what I read, you didn't pass out at all. So you're like seeing this blood trailed and you're still hanging, I assume, from your feet and people, you know, realize something went wrong. What happened? So I, after I'd hit the seats, you know, it's kind of like a roller coaster. You can't get off the ride halfway through. Once you once you start, you're, you're, you're in there till the end. And so after I fell and hit the seats, then the bungee cord pulled me back up. And then I went zip lining out over the football field. And uh, I, knew, I knew I'd never felt pain like that before in my life, number one. So I knew that I was definitely uh, severely injured. I just wasn't sure at that point what the extent was. But my biggest concern was I was I was really really struggling to breathe. It was like getting the wind knocked out of me, but I the, it wasn't coming back. You know, typically after you get the wind knocked out of you, after you know, a while you start to catch your breath. Well, I just I wasn't getting my my wind back, 
And that was my biggest concern. And that was because my left lung had collapsed. And so, but then I also knew that there was a tarp on the field that day. And so as I, I was looking down, you know, after I'd zipped out across the football field, then they lower you to the ground. Well, I'd look down to see just, you know, how much further I had to be lowered. And I noticed there's a trail of blood that led from the sideline to midfield. And then right there under me was a puddle of blood. And I knew, I knew that was me. I just wasn't sure where all this blood was coming from. And so that also, of course, had me concerned and scared. And, and so it was just one of those things where you're just like, okay, Lord, I, I don't know all that's going on here, but I know that you're in control and I'm trusting that right now, but just please give me the strength to get through this. And so it, it was definitely a faith builder for me. Yeah. I actually had a hole in my lung when I was about 12 years old and we believe it came from a cortisone shot that nicked an artery in the back of my shoulder. But I, that was one of the worst pains I've ever felt. And I actually describe it in my book as like, it's like my lungs were water balloons and there was a pair of hands inside my chest trying to pop them is what it felt like. I've just never felt something like that. And so my condition is eventually it would have led to what you had, which is a full collapse. And so you had that going on and then you had all these broken bones and ribs, but you say something about pain and versus what it could have been, right? So it could have been paralysis or other things. So talk to us a little bit about that difference of essentially what a blessing your pain was. You know, and, and it took a while to get to that point because, you know, as I, as they lowered me to the ground and then I laid there and I waited for the ambulance to show up, which felt like an eternity because I was in all this pain. And I realized as I was laying there, you know, I could, I knew I could wiggle my fingers and I knew I could wiggle my toes, which was a good sign. But I, I was just in, like I said, so much pain. And when I finally got to the the hospital, they they gave me a chest tube. That's you know, if you if you collapse a lung, how do they fix that? They give you a chest tube, which is basically a tube that they insert into your chest cavity. And I don't understand it all, but it helps to reinflate your lung. And once I could actually breathe somewhat normally again. That was a big relief, you know. <laughs> you kind of you kind of take breathing for granted mm-hmm. until it's gone. And when you, when my breath started, when I could finally start to breathe a little normally again, then I could start to think a little more rationally and normally again too. And I just remember laying in bed that night and just in all this pain. And I, you know, you, you do you start to realize, you know what? Okay, this could be a whole lot worse than it is. I'm not dead. I'm not paralyzed. I'm in a whole lot of pain. And so when I think of it that way, I guess this is a, a blessing, this pain. And so not that I would wish it on anybody or, yeah. but when you're, when you've got three options, death, paralysis, or pain, and, and God chooses to give you pain, I, I see that as a blessing. And you actually were in the hospital on Thanksgiving, right? So how is gratitude factored in? What has God taught you about gratitude and pain? Well, you just learn to be thankful for the little things in life. And when you get so busy in life, sometimes, well, for me, what happens is sometimes I take little things for granted, you know, my wife, my kids, my health, you know, so many things that you take for granted if you get busy or if you don't intentionally stop and say, okay, Lord, I just need to take some time. I just need to take Sabbath and just stop and thank you for all the blessings that are in my life that I do take for granted so often. Yeah. When you, when you live with, you know, they call it an attitude of gratitude, but when you live that way, it, it makes you realize just how blessed you are and how much we do have to be grateful for. And, uh, you know, all good things come from him. And so I need to make sure that I'm consistently stopping and telling him thank you for my many, many blessings, including the pain that I still live with. Yeah. How is your lung now? Does it feel normal? Yes. It's uh, thankfully that got back to normal. It took a little while. And, but yeah, that part of the healing is feels like um, it's back. And so... I wish I could say that about my my back is the one that, and yeah. I knew this would be the case, but that's the one that gives me the most trouble of all is my my back. The 
my lung healed, my tailbone, I can't sit very long anymore. You know, I can only sit for about an hour before I got to stand up, start walking around or doing something. And so it makes long car rides a little more challenging now. But yeah, it's my back and I knew it would, that would be the case, but that's what gets me the most most issues. So when you're performing, I mean, are you just in pain? Are you hurting afterwards? How has that been different before and after? For me, and and this may be the case with a lot of people, but I feel best when I'm active. So when I'm in a costume, I'm running around out on the field, you know, dancing around, doing my thing. I feel a whole lot better than if I just sit around. If I sit around everything tightens back up, everything hurts again. So the most challenging thing for me is sleeping still, because unfortunately I still sleep on the floor. (laughs) My wife sleeps in the bed. I tend to sleep on the floor most nights. And when I say most, I I probably sleep on the floor 90% of the time. Mm. And, uh, but sleeping is not a lot of activity. That's like flat on your back for seven or eight hours. I mean, Every morning I wake up with this pain and, you know, and before I do my little stretching routine that helps, you know, the physical therapist taught me uh, some stretches that I can do that help with the pain a little bit. But yeah, every morning, and and I tell this to people, and I think I wrote this in a book too, but every morning I wake up, I, I realize, you know, I get to make a choice. I can rise and shine or I can choose to rise and whine. And I don't want to be a whiner. I've got too much to be grateful for. And plus the Bible tells me in Matthew five sixteen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father who is in heaven. And that's, that's what I want my life to be about. Are you sleeping on the floor? Is that because it is just more comfortable for your back, that position? And when I say firm, it's almost to a point of hard. It's, uh, yeah. it's yeah. beyond firm. So it's crazy. And so I, I still do a lot of speaking. I speak all over the country and I travel a lot. So whenever I get a hotel room, they always want to know if you want a king size bed or two beds. And I always go with two beds because typically what I do is I will take all the covers off of one bed, pile them on the floor, make a little mat. And then I take the covers off the other bed to cover up with. And so even though I'm staying in hotel rooms, I'm usually just sleeping on their floors, not in their beds. So it's kind of crazy, but it works for me. Yeah, I have something I like to call like live the miracle. And I consider my surgery a miracle. And there are many, I think all healing is from God, no matter what kind. And it's just, I think miracles look a lot different than people think they do sometimes. And so I think that's one of the best images of quote, living a miracle that I've ever seen. You don't imagine it taking covers off of bed to be able to travel and continue doing what you feel called to just to be able to sleep, you know, but that is a miracle and look how you're getting to touch people's lives. So it's pretty crazy. You talked about physical therapy and your stretches that you still have to do every day. And I love what your PT said about uh, PT standing for pain and torture. But, you know, it's something where you have to still put your body in this pain essentially to get better, right? And I was wondering what you thought of that spiritually, because I think sometimes, you know, we don't want to address this sin pattern in our life or, or do these things or unearth these roots because it's painful, but it really brings us freedom, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's so much truth there in the, the physical and the spiritual there. You know, I love sitting in my comfort zone. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, don't we all? We like to just sit in our little comfort zones and we don't want to get stretched too much and we don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable in any way. But it's when we do that is when we really, I truly believe that we experience this life to the fullest. You can't live a life of faith by sitting in your comfort zone. Mm. If that was the case, I'd still be back in St. Charles, Missouri, where I grew up because that was moving to Kansas City was a scary proposition for me because I didn't, I didn't know anybody in Kansas City. Back in St. Charles, I knew all kinds of people, guys that I'd gone to high school with and and my friends, my family, they were all back there. But when this uh, opportunity with the Chiefs came up, I knew that that was going to be a stretch for me. But also, the more I prayed about it, the more I just had a peace knowing that's where God wanted me. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is probably not going to be easy the entire time or at all. <laughs> but I've, I look back on it now, and I'm very thankful that I, I chose to get out of my comfort zone back then because 
you know, that brought me to Kansas city. And, and, uh, it's just been just that, just learning to walk with him each day on the good days and the, on the days that are rough and where you're struggling when we're challenged to get out of our comfort zone. That's where I able to look back and see that this life of faith, it's, it's not always easy, but it's very rewarding and it's, uh, you know, I'm convinced it's the best way to live. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I, if I remember correctly, you had back in the day an offer to work with FCA as well, right? Yeah, I was, uh, when I was working as Fred Bird for the St. Louis Cardinals, I was also offered a position to work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And that's why it was just really strange when this, this Kansas City Chiefs position came up. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what are you up to? Because I know he's always up to something. I don't, I'm not always real quick about figuring out what he's <laughs> up to. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to trust you on this. I'm just going to you know, walk with you. We'll eventually find out what you're up to. But right now, I just don't get this. But you know, when I was in St. Louis and I had this job as Fred Bird and I loved it, and then this job with FCA came up. And then all of a sudden, this Kansas City Chiefs just came out of the blue I'm like, well, surely, Lord, you want me in, in St. Louis because I'm doing working for FCA and that's a ministry. And, you know, it, I was a young Christian at the time. So I just assumed, OK, of course, God wants me in the ministry. Right? Well, I didn't really realize it at the time, but the ministry he had for me wasn't your typical ministry. <laughs> he had more of an idea of me putting mm -hmm. on a costume, running around and entertaining people that way and then using that platform to go out and share my faith with others. Mm -hmm. And so when I go out and I speak, very rarely do I tell people that I'm, a, I'm an ordained minister because if people know that you're a minister, they listen to you differently. Mm -hmm. if, when they listen to me, if they just think that I'm a mascot, then when I talk about my faith, they're like, well, this guy's faith's very important to him. Well, yeah, it's very important to me. So I just try to you know, I tell people I'm just an evangelist with fur is what I am. I'm just out trying to share the love of Christ with others. And I just, instead of wearing a suit and, suit and a tie, I wear a suit and a tail. So, but me and uh, pastors have a lot in common. We're just trying to share the love of Christ with others. We just dress a little different. And, and I know I smell a little different than they do too. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a wolf, right? How does that work with, you know, us being God's sheep and him being the shepherd? Yeah. I tell people I'm just a, uh, I'm a sheep in wolves clothing. <laughs> That's great. Okay. I'm going to take us a little bit back and I know we're kind of jumping around, but it's just so much fun. But this one story in your book just gave me total goosebumps when you're talking about being in the hospital and you couldn't eat or drink. And then someone, you know, just kind of having a little pity party on yourself. Right. And then the sponge and the water and how you relate that to Jesus. Will you share that story? I will. This one's uh, still fresh. Probably one of the uh, things early on that encouraged me just because there's so many times where you just feel like giving up. And mm -hmm. I'd been in the hospital. And it was probably the second day I was in, maybe the third day. And um, I was just, no, it was, it was the first time I was in the hospital. That's right, because I was going in for surgery the next morning for my back. For these, they were going to install these new titanium rods in my back. And, you know, the night before you, you go in for surgery, they don't let you eat or drink anything. And so I was completely dried up. You know, my pain medications they were giving me would dry me out. And I had these oxygen tubes that were sticking up my nose and to help me breathe. Those were drying me out. I was still dehydrated because I had done a wolf appearance earlier that day before I got hurt. So I was a little dehydrated there. And the only thing that would give me any relief is the nurses gave my wife this little cup of water and they also gave her a stick with a sponge on the end of it. And anytime I'd just get so dry that I couldn't take it, because I'd go to lick my chapped lips and my tongue would be completely dry. So it was just a miserable feeling. So whenever I was just so miserable, my wife would take this sponge uh, on this stick, she'd dip it in this small styrofoam cup of water and she'd just use it to wipe my lips. And this went on all night long. And I remember it was probably two, three o'clock in the morning and I still hadn't slept. And once again, I'm mid, she's wiping my lips, this, this sponge. And it dawned on me, you know, there was another man I read about one time. He was thirsty. 
he uh, asked for a drink and offered it to him on a Sunday. And of course, uh, that's Jesus in the Bible. He's hanging on a cross and says, I am thirsty. And Jonathan the wine vinegar. They hold it up to Jesus's lips. And, and the Bible says when he had finished drink, he, he bowed his head and he, gave, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I realized lying in that bed that night that Jesus was also familiar with pain. And just like it was no accident that I was in that hospital bed, you know, that was all part of God's plan for my life. It was no accident that Jesus was hanging on that cross either. That was also part of God's plan. That was God's plan for restoring sinful man, you and me, back into a right relationship with a holy God. And so in my back, back of my Bible, I had this quote that I'd written down many, many years before my bungee accident that says there's no such thing as accidents. They're all just incidents in God's perfect plan for our lives. And, and that night I was just reminded that, yeah, okay, it was no accident that I was lying there in that hospital bed. It was no accident that Jesus hung on that cross either. Those are all part of God's plans. And, and uh, even though I didn't understand his plan at the time, didn't even like his plan at the time, I knew he had a plan. And he's God and I'm not. And I just... And I knew in, in time that I would eventually uh, let me know what that plan was. Yeah. And you say God never says oops, right? Yeah, that's so. a good friend of mine who likes to say that. It's a one word not in God's vocabulary is the word oops. So God wasn't sitting up on in heaven on November 23rd, 2013 saying, oops, didn't know Dan was going to fall 70 feet. No, he, mm -hmm. he knew it was all going to happen and he had a plan all along. Yeah. Did you ever struggle with, you've been a Christian, you know, most of your life and seeing God's goodness in the good times, but dealing with all of this stuff, did you ever feel like God left you? Did you ever struggle with his goodness in the midst of it all? Oh yeah. I think you always struggle when you're going through pain and it's more of a, like you said, at a pity party type of thing. In the back of my mind, I'm, I knew that God was good, but when you're going through pain, you have your doubts for sure. But as I look back on it now, the, the one thing that I try to encourage people with is that God's principles and God's promises, they, they never change. They're always, always reliable, no matter how severe, no matter how painful the situation may be. And so even though we may doubt his goodness, that doesn't change that God is good. You know, mm -hmm. he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always has been good. He always will be good. So no matter how we're feeling at the time. Yeah. So this roller coaster of pain that you can be on, especially in recoveries from just major things like what you've had. What if someone is on that roller coaster, you know, feeling depression or de dealing with that insomnia or just having a horrible day with their pain right now, maybe coronavirus and how much they've been sitting has made it flare up. What would you say to someone just in the middle of that roller coaster right now? Well, the thing for me is I can't just sit in my pain for one. I pray. I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you for my blessings. Number one, just trying to be grateful for what you do have and then getting up and doing something. And for me, one of those things is to try to help others who are in the who are struggling you know because we all deal with pain it's not it might not be physical pain but there's mm -hmm. emotional pain there's relational pain there's you know there's so many different types of pain in this world and there always will be because of sin but yeah. for me when i take the focus off of me and start to look around at others that i can be helping that has helped me out a great deal. So I think, you know, all the money we make off of the sale of my books, I, I give that away to different missions and ministries and awesome. do a lot with orphanages around the world. I work with a lot of homeless shelters and battered women's shelters. And so for me, one of those things has been just to, you know, look for opportunities to serve those who are, who are hurting and helpless and hopeless in many cases. But that's been one of the things I've tried to do to, you know, when I'm having a rough day is to realize there's always somebody out there who's got it worse. And I want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. I found the same thing. And I don't know what that spiritual root is, but there is something so beautiful and deep about looking and seeing someone else in need amidst your own pain. That just, it's like a burden being lifted off your shoulders. You know, when I finally got 
permission from my doctor to start wearing a costume after I think it was six months, six and a half months, I think it was. One of the first trips I took was to Haiti. I worked at an orphanage down in Haiti and I learned a great lesson there. You know, when I was doing all the therapy and rehab and, you know, that most of my time was spent at home because I, I couldn't work. So I'd go to my physical therapy appointment in the morning and then I came home and spent most of my time at home. Well, you spend all your time at home. You live in a small world. You live in a small world. All your problems seem huge. Pain, your problems all seem huge. Mm. You go to a place like Haiti work in an orphanage where they don't have hot water. They don't have air conditioning. You sleep under a mosquito net every night on a really, really uncomfortable bed. And all of a sudden your world starts to get a lot bigger and you live in a big world that'll mm. help put your own problems and pain in perspective in a hurry. So. That's good. I just think it's a theme of if living in freedom and pain of, you know, I love Bethany Hamilton. I know you got to meet her and just her story of in her book. And I believe in the movie too, she goes on a mission trip. You know, you're talking about Haiti. I remember my worst pain, I was involved in a ministry called uh, Horses for Healing. Or I guess, I don't know that it was Christian-based, but it just helped children with disabilities ride horses. And it is, yeah, it makes your world bigger, for sure. And yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Right before we go, I did have one other question talking about pain. You talk at the very end of your book about the pain of just getting older and having to quit your church basketball league. How has that pain been different than this pain of your accident? Well, that's just a whole nother thing. It's just getting older. You know, my, my trouble is in my mind, I am still 18 years old. <laughs> my body is now 53 years old. And so what happens is what my body can do and what my mind tells my body it can do are two totally different things. And as a result of that, I've got to use this stuff called ibuprofen on a regular basis <laughs> because I, it just takes a lot longer for my body to heal and recover after football games. And, and me and my brother go out and decide we're going to try some new adventure. And so part of it makes me really thankful that God makes me a promise in Revelation that one day he's going to give me a new body and I'm going to be able to fade in this old used model that I've been, that's a little bit beat up and at this point, but one day I, I will get to trade this in on a new spiritual body and I've got a feeling it's going to be a significant upgrade. So, and I'm, yeah. and so I, I do look forward to that, but yeah, just learning to deal with aging. I think that's a, that's a process too. So but uh, I'm thankful for the, the health that I do enjoy. And I want to get every ounce out of this body that I can. Well, I think that's a great way to kind of wrap things up is focusing on the keeping the end in mind, right? And looking ahead to where we're going. And this, this life and our pain is so temporary. And I know pain can seem like it's just never going to end. But if we can really just surrender to his grace being sufficient for us, there is an eternal reward, an eternal body waiting for us. So thank you so much for how encouraging you've been. Is there anything that I have not asked that you would like to share about? Boy, you've done a great job. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate the opportunity to be able to come on and, and share with people. You know, there is life past the pain. God has used it as a wake-up call in my own life as to what's truly important. And it's easy to get wrapped up in things that aren't that important in life. And I've got a little reminder on my desk at work now that says the the urgent things in life are seldom important. The important things in life are seldom urgent. And the important things in my life are are my relationship with Lord, my relationship with my, my wife, my kids, my friends and church family. And, and so that's what I want to be living my life for, not just all the urgent things, but to, for the truly important things. Because, you know, you live for the urgent things and, and you're going to be living a life filled with regret. You learn to live life for the important things. And that's when God blesses, I believe, and truly believe that we're never going to live this life abundantly until we learn to live it obediently. And so that's just my goal each yeah. day is to wake up and try to be obedient to him and 
just enjoy the the blessings that he he sends my way. Ooh, that's a good word. We're never going to live life abundantly until we learn to live it obediently. Correct. Ooh, that's good. I also just a fun little fact to so that you see just some of the influence you have that I know that I feel so blessed to be able to talk to you today because I got to read your book and you know it's just so cool but there's so many people who have read your book that you're never going to meet and um, just you know somewhere in Montana I'm an orange theory fitness coach if you know what that is and at the end of each workout there's a flexibility block where we kind of stretch and cool down from everything and so I like to bring some kind of inspiration or a quote each time and I have probably shared at least 10 quotes from your book and my flexibility block so good to hear well I hope you get the second book because the second book I have people ask me all the time when I go out and I speak at conferences around the country like hey where can I find that quote that you used when you spoke mm -hmm. and so when I wrote the second book I'm like you know what I'm going to designate it's it's not I wouldn't consider it a chapter but at the end of the book I've got a, a probably three, four, five pages that are nothing but Casey Wolf quotes that people Ooh. always ask me for. And so it's uh, my second book was called Mascot on a Mission, Living a Life of Influence. And it tells a lot of the stories about the, the orphanages I visited in, awesome. you know, Haiti and Philippines. And last year I was in India and Africa and I was supposed to be I was actually supposed to have just got back from Nepal because I was going to go over there and work at an orphanage uh, over spring break. But of course, this coronavirus, uh, God had other plans. So yeah. he decided that it's time for me to take a little break. And I guess I'm going to have to visit Nepal at another later date. My husband and I were going to take a trip over to that area as well. And so we don't know if that's going to happen, but um, God's good through all of it. And uh yeah, your books. Where can people get your books? How can they get in touch? Or thank you for being on the show. Do you have social media, any of that? Yeah, if you go to danmears.org, and Mears is M-E-E-R-S, but it's danmears.org, and you can learn more about me. You can purchase books there. And I've also got coins that a few years ago I hit up friend of mine he's like you need to come up with a coin so on one side of the coin it's got a picture of casey wolf it says life is like a coin spend it wisely on the back of the coin it says rise and shine just a reminder that you can rise and shine or rise and wine but it says rise and shine matthew 5 16. oh i love that all the what money we make off books and coins like i said we just uh use it to support missions and ministries around the world i love that and maybe that's a great birthday gift or any kind of gift coming up. And I don't know if in a month when this airs, if we'll still be in self-isolation mode, but I mean, there is nothing better than books to feed our minds in this time. So I hope people go out and get that. And you have just been such a blessing, Dan. Thank you so much for your time. And we're just praying that God continues to give you a platform of being a mascot and beyond. And thank you for everything that you're doing for the kingdom. All right. Thank you for having me on. Isn't he just incredible? I told y'all, I hope you are as encouraged as I was. And if you are, you can head over to Dan's website, danmears.org. There you'll find his books, the coin. You can get him to speak at an event or reach out and thank him. So go ahead and head over there. And I feel like Dan is just the perfect example of how God may not cause bad things to happen in our lives, but he will definitely use them, redeem them, and bring glory to himself if we give them to him. So thank you again to Dan, and we will see you guys again next Tuesday instead of Monday. Sue Reynolds has a book coming out that Tuesday, and so we're interviewing her on her book release date. Be blessed, and we'll see you again here soon.